0: in business and life relationships are everything welcome to the people catalyst podcast where we interview top business leaders and learn how they build relationships with their teams clients and those that promote and refer them here's your host business trainer and leader of the people catalyst team carla nelson
1: Sherman serves as a legal and strategic advisor to both leaders of Fortune 500 companies and founders of rapid growth, emerging businesses in the areas of business planning, corporate finance, mergers and acquisitions, and intellectual property harvesting, such as franchising and licensing strategies. He's the author of 26 books on business growth, Mergers and acquisitions and strategy. Andrew is an adjunct professor in the MBA program at the University of Maryland and Georgetown Law School for nearly 30 years. So hang on for this action packed podcast where we discuss the largest transition of wealth in history. And welcome to the People Catalyst podcast, Andrew Sherman.
0: Oh, it's great to be here. I love the name of the podcast, Carla. I think. we're gonna be talking a lot about how people are in fact catalysts.
1: Uh, you got throughout it throughout
0: the throughout the interview.
1: Yep. And you know, you solve problems through people. So it's really easy to identify the problems and it's uh, identifying who to go to, right, is is critical in business and in life. So share with us, Andrew, you know, kind of a brief overview of your work history. I know you've written something like what, 26 books or something, which is incredible. Yeah, uh, I, I, so how'd you cool get here? Of writing.
0: I've, I've got a little bit of a, of a problem when I see an issue in our society or in business strategy, instead of just drinking a nice bottle of wine, I feel compelled to write a book about it. And so uh, that has become a bit of a career challenge, as I've got a busy law practice, and I teach at Maryland and at Georgetown. And, um, but I have written a bunch of books. And what we'll talk about today probably is how my most, my three most recent books kind of tie together, which I think will be very interesting for your for your listeners.
1: Got it. That's wonderful. Well, actually, can you share even right now just a little bit about those three books, maybe the titles as well? Sure. So
0: um, I'll give it kind of as an evolution. Um, we all remember about eight to ten years ago, there seemed to be a real breakdown in corporate governance and leadership, mm-hmm. and and just culture overall. Uh, you know, we had companies that were you know being defrauded. We had boards that were self-dealing. We had you know acquisitions that were overvalued by seven or $8 billion, Mm -hmm. you know, when it had top Wall Street advisors. So I wrote a book called Essays on Governance and it's a collection of essays written by both me and others on what is good corporate governance? How does it, you know, relate to uh, enterprise value? How does it relate to culture? What's the role of the board in these things? And, you know, like everyone in life, I put a checkbox next to that, but okay, well I've cured corporate governance. (laughs) And then I started noticing uh, you know, you may have seen or others may have seen my TED talk on this. I started noticing that I didn't go far enough, that, that what was happening is a lot of intangible assets that drive enterprise value were still being wasted and misused and misunderstood. So, of course, I set out to write a book called Harvesting Intangible Assets to cure that societal problem. Mm-hmm. And then I checked that box and I thought, OK, you know, Carl, I'm, I'm good now. I've, I've just solved the world's problems with my two books. And as I did deeper and deeper into the research, I realized that it was a triangle and I was missing the last, you know, point of the triangle. And that, and, and you know this, I'm sure, in your own practice and in the guests that you've had prior to me is that if you, you can have governance and you can have innovation, but if you don't have culture, it all falls apart. Oh, and, absolutely. And that's when I started digging deeper into the Gallup study uh, on the you know the, the level of disengagement inside companies, both large and small, tech and non-tech, both baby boomer and millennial. I mean, our, our societal issues around being disengaged and disconnected uh, transcend the workplace. I mean, they're, they're, they're seeping into our community, into, into politics, into socioeconomics, into geopolitics. Um, you know, we're becoming extremely intolerant of anyone that doesn't look or, you know, talk or have our cultural backgrounds. And that's affecting uh, innovation and productivity and profitability in the workplace. It's affecting enterprise value. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's it's one of the things that led us together on this podcast. So those three books, in my mind, kind of work together as a strategic triangle that hopefully, you know, listeners can take away that, you've got to have all three you've got to have governance you've got to have innovation and you've got to have culture and if you don't you know don't expect to raise capital don't expect to sell your company for very much money don't expect to, you know to build the kind of wealth in owning your own company that uh, a lot of people expect to happen with some magic wand
1: yeah you got it and I love how you said that the last um, part of the triangle the uh, of the intangible is culture. Uh, it's so critical and so many times i think culture is what we do and so if you if if you have the right governance and you're keeping in mind innovation like culture can be managed as an output but it's still something that has to be measured and it's like well how do you measure culture right <laughs> but you have to well, have that right. question and,
0: and also you know you've probably seen this as well you go into companies and you say okay so you know tell me about your level of engagement and they'll say stuff like Oh well, you know we have a ping pong table and we have free donuts oh. on Friday. Oh my gosh, we thinking, were separated
1: at birth, Andrew. I've po- we uh, literally said we'll come in and train your staff, and it we'll have a ping pong removal, <laughs> just right. For for I mean, I mean
0: th- this is many leaders. This is their idea of engagement. I'm thinking that is like you know that's 1994. You know, why don't yeah. why don't you tell me that while people are playing ping pong, you're also playing eight track tapes to entertain them? I mean, I don't. <laughs> understand it, how so many uh, business owners are, are that classic ostrich head in the sand mm-hmm. and in a state of strategic denial, if you will, yeah. about what the true drivers are of enterprise value. And you it's got very it. sad. You know, and and I, I tell you this, if you layer one more big component in there, and this was part of our Uh, you know, if anyone doesn't know this, I'm going to embarrass Carla uh, for a second. She is extremely well-prepared as a podcast. So some of the best (laughs) questions I've ever been asked to get ready for the podcast. So I hope I don't, I hope you don't mind me embarrassing you uh, live.
1: Oh no. Thank you very much. It was easy because you're so good on your, uh, your profile is so well put together. Thank you.
0: But the, but the issue that one of the issues that, uh, that Carla asked me about to get ready for today's podcast was around this upcoming era Mm -hmm. of transfer of wealth. You know, we're, this is, this is a very interesting time. We're about, according to this study by mass mutual, which keeps getting adjusted every year, there is going to be an intergenerational transfer of wealth of somewhere between 40 and $50 trillion over the next 15 years. That's right. Trillion dollars. Um, I wish that was coming my way, but it's not. I'll be doing more of the transferring than being the transferee. Um, Those 40 or 50 trillion dollars, many of those dollars are embedded in small business and mid midsize and family business ownership. They're not, you know, stocks trading in your Schwab account. They are uh, the transfer of business and enterprise value. And, you know, it's unclear with millions of businesses, who that buyer will be or what they will pay or why they will pay. And, you know, again, business owners are in a fog. I I, I recently wrote a guest column for CNBC where I talked about uh, Ponce de Leon syndrome. And I don't know if anybody remembers that, but, you know, Ponce de Leon was the, the guy that thought if you dip yourself in the fountain, you'll live forever. <laughs> and many, you know, many of us seem to be operating on this presumption that we don't need to get ready for this process because, you know, it's it's not gonna affect us. Or we'll be the ones that live till ninety, or you know, with healthcare uh, achievements, achievements will we'll be coming into the office at 85, spry as ever. Um, yes. that's just not reality, at least not right now.
1: Absolutely. So, and 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 in uh, in my past history, I worked with mid market companies to build them up to sell. And uh, and obviously there's a big huge part of training in there. And what we've and what I've noticed is that you a lot of times you go into these companies, they're not planning for any type of transfer. You typically get the call when it's, you know, okay, I want to sell tomorrow. Um, can you share a little bit about how critical it is to plan for these and maybe what the best strategies to keep in mind for planning for this, you know transfer of wealth? And really, when you think about it, Andrew, it's a it's a transfer of wealth, and there's two sides to this, the buyer side and the seller side, right?
0: very much so i you know i i could spend hours on the, on your last question and you know number 1 many companies don't even have a succession plan a succession plan is just what happens if the 66 year old ceo of the company you know suddenly drops dead or gets hit by a bus uh and she's not prepared to even name her successor or the board hasn't thought about it so you know that is just sort of a, a, a crime against humanity to not even think about who your plan B would be if you hit you know if you had a health issue but on the transition side the concept i want to get across to your listeners today is around mock due diligence you know when you talk about going into companies to get them ready to sell at maximum enterprise value you're talking about a process and a and a timetable having enough of a runway you know that by the time you're opening up your you know, kimono to, to due diligence buyers, you're really ready for the process. Mm-hmm. And many times people like you and I get a call way, way, way too late in the process. I mean, yes. I, I literally got a call the other day from a new client. Said, yep, we're selling our business. We'd like you to be our lawyer. Uh, we're sending you the signed LOI. I said, you've <laughs> got to be kidding me. I said, I thought you would tell me something like, yeah, we think we're going to sell in 2021. So we wanted to start getting ready now. Mm -hmm. Um, But instead, you know, they they just haphazardly pulled it all together, no preparation, no data room, no red flagging of what, you know, buyer due diligence issues might be. I mean, you know, it's very analogous to our homes. How many people actually wake up in the morning and say, you know what, I think I'm going to sell my house today, right, without repairing it or painting it or getting ready for the process or Thinking about what a buyer would find attractive, and you know that wallpaper in your bathroom from 1967 probably needs to be replaced before you sell. And mm-hmm. I mean, you know, if we do that in our homes, how come we can't do it in our businesses? You yeah. know, and get the best advisors. And you know, the the other piece uh, of what's going on is I, in the in the early 80s, I came out of law school. I've been doing this, you know, almost 35 years. And my first transaction, you'll love this, Carly, it's, was the sale of a small fireplace cleaning company. And <laughs> the assets of the company were supposed to be $500,000, So you know, which was a pretty good-sized deal back in the early 80s. Yeah. So I'm there that night working on the final documents, and I realized that the assets add up to $475,000. And I start going into a cold sweat. I'm like, oh my God, this is fraud. How can we sell $475,000 worth of assets for 500,000? And I'm literally freaking out as a young lawyer. <laughs> Next morning, the senior partner comes in and, and I tell him what's going on. I said, we have to change the purchase price or we have to you know, cancel the transaction. We can't let the client move forward. And he says, oh, just put down $25,000 goodwill. And I said, goodwill what are you talking about like goodwill industries where you donate your old sofa <laughs> he said no 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 it's an accounting concept and you know oh it means you know customer loyalty and brands and you know i had never even heard of the concept <laughs> Well, today right i mean today we have companies like linkedin being bought by Microsoft for $26 billion. Mm-hmm. And what do you think the ratio of tangible to intangible assets are?
1: Oh, exactly. Cause in value uh, is subjective. It's like, well, okay, well right. strategically, I, what are they I going mean, to use that data for is a whole different question than a hard asset, right? That you can look at and go, that's right. worth X. But,
0: but back in the day, companies were sold and it was inventory, equipment, you know, supplies, okay. you know, it was all hard assets. Mm-hmm. And now we're looking at certain transactions. You know, yesterday, Visa announced they were buying Plaid for $5.2 billion, which basically provides the plumbing for Waymo and other fintech companies. Mm-hmm. You know, of the $5.2 billion in purchase price, how much do you think is allocated to tangible assets versus intangible? You know, I bet it's eighty I mean,
1: twenty at least.
0: At least I at mean least. I, I looked at this company online. It, it's probably closer to 95.5.
1: Wow, that's incredible. Just to think I about mean, how ninety-five
0: much percent of the purchase price being allocated to intangible assets. And so wow. if we're right that this concept of EBITDA and 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 goodwill are all changing, well then to your point and to your questions to me to get ready for the podcast. We need to focus on the intangible drivers of enterprise value, culture and teamwork and leadership and governance and collaboration and innovation and intrapreneurship and peer recognition and rewards and tolerance for risk. And, you know, just all of those things you can't fix overnight. It's not like the wallpaper in your bathroom for 1968. I mean, if you're truly committed to get maximizing enterprise value, you have to start looking at these things now.
1: Oh, and, and that say, you it's rolling right into my, you got me, um, right. listen to every word you said, when should you start planning right now? It's, it, And that's the biggest key to uh, driving uh, our understanding the, uh, as a seller, the asset itself and how you can prove on paper. And that takes time to show not only shift and all of those intangibles, you, you have to have a strategy associated Right, Andrew? So if you could share the listeners, when's the best time to start planning and how long should they, you know, take well, at that runway?
0: Let me give you my, my standard answer and let me give you a more subjective one. The standard answer is it, it's got, that runway has got to be 12 to 18 months. I mean, it just, it just does. But some of it is customized to the business. So if, if, if I'm going through this list, of culture, teamwork, leadership, governance, collaboration, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, my company's in pretty good shape on those things. I need to tweak this and tweak that. Uh, but, you know, I, I I think we show pretty well on the intangibles. That's one thing. If on the other hand, you're going to be honest enough with yourself to say, you know what? My culture, teamwork, leadership, collaboration, blah, 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 is pretty messed up. And, mm-hmm. you know, I am I don't look too good when I when I open up my kimono in the mirror, I'm, I'm not liking what I'm seeing. Mm-hmm. And if I don't like what I'm seeing, heck if a buyer is going to like what they're seeing. And then the answer to your very astute question is, well, then how long will it take to fix it? You know, maybe it's longer than 12 to 18 months. Maybe it's, you know, a lot longer. And then, of course, how does that sync up with your own personal plans? You know, people set these artificial milestones of, I'm going to sell my business when I'm 62. Okay, great. That sounds like a good age. Probably got that number from your financial planner. But what if 62, if at 62, your business is all messed up? Or what if at 62, markets are all messed up? I mean, you know.
1: The reason why it took longer to get to this point is because that correct, or well, the the market Correction and negatively in 2008 because the baby boomers, a group we're talking about, kind of kicked the can down the road a little bit, right? Because the market shifted and they decided to work a little bit longer.
0: Yeah. And it's pretty easy math. If you were 62 in 2008 and you were waiting for the markets to recover, you know, you're now 74, 75, and and you might still be waiting. Yeah. Because some markets have not yet recovered. And You know, I, what, how does that affect your financial planning, your life planning, your enterprise value?
1: Yeah. And I think it was you that wrote an article or shared an article, um, and we'll wrap it up um, with how listeners can get a hold of you after this question, um, which was also in this huge transfer of wealth, historically, the owners would often transfer that to the children, right? And then there's a big shift in the fact that a lot of their children, they don't want to Shift that transfer of leadership and more of a transition plan, probably than a succession plan. So, can you share with our listeners a little bit about that aspect? Because I think on that side, you can really look as a buyer and strategically take advantage of the shift in this huge amount of wealth as well.
0: Yeah, we could do almost another podcast around family business dynamics. But um, one of the things that I'm seeing is that many, because many, Baby boomer age businesses did not have a good succession plan or transition plan, they assume that they'll just turn the business over to their children. Well, what if your children no longer live in your hometown? What if your children aren't interested in running the business? What if your children have lives and careers of their own? You know, you don't want your your busy daughter surgeon who, you know, went to Stanford University and now lives in Northern California reluctantly moving back. You know to kansas city to run your widget business if that's not what she really wants with her life and your, you know your workers are not going to be too pleased either uh and and yet that that may be the only thing you have in mind if there's not a third party buyer out there and yes there's a lot of private equity dollars piling up but private equity is not going to buy companies just for the sake of buying them um especially if they don't see these intangible drivers of enterprise value Present because the smart money knows that that's where all the value lies now is inside intellectual properties and channels and relationships and all the things that are true drivers of enterprise value.
1: Mm, that's awesome i love it i can't wait to check out your latest three books here andrew and so as we wrap this up at number one thank you so much for your time today this has been awesome i love it i love the uh, uh just positioning of understanding both from a selling aspect and this huge transfer of wealth that's coming up and it is time to plan now there's never a, uh, a time that is going to be perfect to have the conversation, right? It's that whole—it's urgent, or not urgent, and important, right? And this is that conversation um, that really is about leaving millions of dollars on the table if you don't have it. Typically, it so really uh,
0: Andrew. No, uh, it's been a pleasure to be on the show, and I can't wait for it to be uploaded so I can share it with my social media network.
1: Excellent, and Andrew, if you could also let us know where can we get a hold of you.
0: So uh, the best place to find me is in my all-day job at Syfirth Shaw. I'm a partner in the corporate department and head up the local corporate department here in the D.C. office. Uh, I'm at a. Sherman at syfirth.com, or just check out our website and all my contact information is there. And if you are interested uh, in the books, please take a look at my Amazon author page and all of my books, including the three that we were talking about today, are are available.
1: Excellent, Andrew. Thank you again.
0: Oh, my pleasure. Keep up the great work. Thank you for listening to the People Catalyst podcast. And remember, it's a good life.